Welcome to the in-camera review podcast. Mike, Matt, Logan, we are lawyers talking about movies. Tonight we will be discussing a movie, an actor, and a year in film at the Academy Awards for the Best Picture category. That is the movie Apocalypto, directed by Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. Hmm. Gary Oldman and 1989, the 61st Academy Awards, where Rain Man brought home the gold, as well as Working Girl uh, was, a, was an also ran that year, The Accidental Tourist, Dangerous Liaisons, and a fan favorite of this podcast, Mississippi Burning. Gentlemen, Matt, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited because as the listeners probably don't know that every week that Mike and Logan ask me, what did I watch? Logan generally says, a lot of heavy lifting, rattles off 18 movies. Me, not so much, but really what they mean to ask is, Matt, what did you watch this week other than Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? So I could tell you, I watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy again for probably the 30th time. I bet you nobody else in the world has seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy more than I have. Um, so I'm, the, I'm, the edit team, maybe? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, other than that, uh, I'm, I'm ready to talk. I'm excited. I, I did watch my children. Um, I longingly watched my children eat some small pizzas prior to the show, um, while I ate like a, like a vegetable dish, um, that, that hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, but you know, gotta stay, gotta stay fit for the listeners. You know, the commander in chief's got, got the Rona. So we gotta, we gotta stay fit guys. Logan, how are you this week? I'm well, Mike. I'm well. Uh, I also got in Tinker Taylor. Um, which, uh, was a, a second, second or third watch for me, third it's time the around. It's the best. I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's, it's a so very good. enjoyable movie. Uh, also did Apocalypto, The Darkest Hour, which I'm, uh, was pretty impressed with and did Rain Man. So. How long has it been since you've seen Rain Man? Long time. And it's, you know, it's funny. We can talk about it. I, it, it wasn't the same movie that I remember, mm-hmm. right? There's definitely some scenes that I remembered from that movie, but the, the overall, casino. yeah, the overall plot of the movie, I didn't really remember that that's right. how it went and that's how it ended. So yeah. Um, interesting. I did Cliff's notes, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, Cause I have, I have some questions. I watched Apocalypto, the darkest hour and Tinker Taylor soldier spy as well. Um, I also got in Rain Man, um, and, uh, I got in some other ones. Um, I got in The Professional, uh, with a nice Leon, Gary Oldman role. Leon, the, Leon. Prof- the Professional. Um, and it was funny too, because my, my kids and I are watching Star Wars, and so I went from seeing Padme, Natalie Portman, to like, you know, the beginning. It was, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also got in Dangerous Liaisons. I watched that one. Whoa. Um, and I, I saw that one a long time ago and, um, yeah, I'm interested to talk about that one too. Cause that was, uh, of that was an interesting rewatch. Of course he is. Because in the pre-show, how do we talked about how we were going to discuss 
Mississippi burning versus Rain Man, and now now dangerous liaisons. Is Here in, comes is the our... the Mike Duffy curveball. It's the right. curve, the right? Duffy Deuce. <laughs> right. When we come back, we will be talking about Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. This anger come from? I have no idea. I've <laughs> been angry all my life. Um, uh, and I try not to have it manifest itself. You know. You, you try and keep a lock on it, and it really isn't. It's real back there someplace, and you know, I've talked to people about that. Where's it coming from? I can get really mad about. I can murder inanimate objects. You should see me choking the toaster in the morning. <laughs> you know, so I'm kind of a work in progress right now. So, Mel Gibson, in the summer of 2006. Just a hair before Apocalypto hits the theaters in December of 2006. Not a good time in Mel Gibson's career. Guy's skin was on fire during that interview. So why did I play that clip? Well, I played that clip for a couple reasons. One is, is if I played the Apocalypto clip, it would basically be playing the soundtrack or Mayan language uh, with no subtitles. So that's the clip for Apocalypto. The other thing is, is that is really what Mel Gibson did in 2006 that mattered more to his career than this movie. Uh, because he did not direct another feature film for 10 years. Not until Hacksaw Ridge came out 10 years later. Mm-mm. Um, can't came... say those things. Can't say those things out West. Mm-mm. So uh, for those of you that don't remember, basically Mel Gibson got pulled over in Malibu. He was drunk uh, driving, got arrested and started saying anti-Semitic things to the arresting officer and um, said some not nice things to the female officer uh, when he got to the station. And, um, yeah, that was his interview on Diane Sawyer to rehabilitate himself. Um, and I heard an interview where, um, uh, Mel Gibson described Apocalypto as it's a movie about seeking a new beginning. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so this movie came out in 2006. It was written by Mel Gibson and a guy named Farhad Safina, who, um, Gibson met on the set of Passion of the Christ. The movie was made for 40 million and it, and uh, the box office was 120 million. So despite the controversy, right? It's a great movie. It's, it's a shame that there was the controversy because he probably would have ripped up, you know, cranked out three more movies at least. Right. Um, and you know, I, I remember seeing it in the theaters. I went and saw it in the theaters, uh, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Um, and I, I can't remember the last time I watched it since then, but I, I did enjoy the rewatch, uh, a lot. Uh, the, ca- the, the cast in this movie is very much an, an, an unknown cast, uh, mostly Mexican and Native American, uh, actors. Um, the, the guy Gerardo Terracina, he played Middle Eye, which is the, the really sadistic guy in the movie that, uh, kills the Jaguar Paul's father. Um, he was in Man on Fire and he's been in a couple of things. That guy's a legit. Uh, like Mexican movie actor. He's been in a lot of films. Um, it did he's manage great. to get, he's it, great. He's very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It did manage to get nominated for a couple Academy Awards, which surprised me a little bit, frankly, um, with all the controversy, but it, you know, cause this is, this is in 2007, you know, so we're, 
we're, we're, we're still going, this is still going on. And, but it got nominated for best makeup, best sound mixing and, uh, best sound editing, um, lost to Pan's Labyrinth, DreamWorks and Dream Girls and Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, respectively. So it really uh, me, is a unique movie. I mean, it does. I mean, it, it's hard to compare to other movies, right? The only other movie you can compare it to is the passion. I mean, just when, when he started putting out movies that he decided to not have in English and with no subtitles, that's, that's pretty ballsy, right? I mean, that is, that is, uh, it takes a lot. And he, and he tells the story in, in this particular film. Excellent. Excellent. So the story of this film is in 1502 on the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, uh, Jaguar Paw and his pregnant wife, son, and the rest of his Mayan village are attacked by a hostile tribe and captured. Um, but Jaguar Paw hides his wife and son in a dangerous cave. Um, the villagers are brought by this hostile force to a dying Mayan city where human sacrifice is being used to try and put an end to plague and famine. Jaguar Paw escapes after a lunar eclipse and killing the hostile leader's son. And on his way back to his family, the leader and others uh, chase him, but they are slowly killed off one by one uh, as Jaguar Paw masters the uh, forest and they succumb to it. The movie ends, um, with Jaguar Paw and the last survivors seeing Spanish explorers suddenly arrive. Such a good scene. Right? Mm-hmm. Which will bring about the end of the Mayan world uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, and so he and his family return to the forest to, as they say, seek a new beginning. Um, Logan, what did you think of this movie? Yeah, it was, when you were when you guys were going through the time periods and everything, I, I remember when it came out being very skeptical, and I think I called Logan. I, I remember your right? cynicism when I, this movie I, came out. I think I called or texted Matt, and I was like, "Who in the fuck does Mel Gibson think he is putting his <laughs> name in the title like M Night Shyamalan or something?" Right? And I was I like, "Stoker." I rem- Logan. I remember it like it was yesterday. You didn't <laughs> tell the story I was going to. I remember I like, how like upset you were about (laughs) you know i i was uh, yeah i was super skeptical of it and i was like has has he lost it like what the hell's going on and i i didn't see it in theaters i think for that reason but i remember when it came out so that you could stream it or whatever and i i ended up just stumbling into it one day i'm like i'm gonna check this out and was blown away like you said the way he's able to tell the story you know without any english without subtitles Generally, it's suspenseful. It's intense. It's very well shot. I, I, the one part I disagree with on, on what you guys have said so far is in, in the comparison to other things, I would compare it to all his other movies, right? So like Braveheart or The Patriot, it is about a small villager who gets pulled into a like larger conflict, right? which is what happens to him in Braveheart, which is what happens to him in the Patriot. Um, passion. Yeah. The passion. And so I, I think he has man without a face. Do you think he has <laughs> anger issues and he's trying to deal with them in this way? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so th- there's a common three theme that kind of runs through a lot of his movies. Um, but 
it is it is very different than a lot of stuff that you're going to see on on the screen. I, I love the movie, but everything gets put under a microscope here on ICR, right? And so, what, if I have to give it stars, uh, it's a hard one to rate, isn't it? Three and a half. Wow, yeah. for real. I, 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 it, it's probably a four star movie. I, I like. I go. I went back and forth on this. I very much struggle. I mm-hmm. don't think it's a five star movie. I agree. Um, but it's it's very good. It's very well done. I got. What do you think? Track. What do you think, Matt? Well, hold on. Let me sidetrack. What do you guys give Braveheart? Braveheart's a five star movie. Yeah, it's a five star. Now there's a few like editing issues in Braveheart where like blood gets on the camera and they re the like reshoot. There's stock shooting like like the same guys like getting shot by an arrow like three times in some of those battle scenes and it's still a five star movie um you tend to look over it i give this a hard four um i don't know why i don't give it a five um it's probably, hard to put your finger on it isn't it very probably because um it it gets penalized a little bit for not having english i guess but that's so unfair right so i don't know it's it's a subjective hard four it probably should be a five i'm just not going to do it the the critics seem to pan at the hardest for the violence right the amount of violence yeah and 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 part of me is like i mean it's a mel gibson movie right like watch like watch criticizing tarantino for being violent get come on correct correct come on get get over that right and so yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably at four. The scene that I think I like the most is when they bring them into the Mayan city and you see yeah. all of the despair and like just the weirdness of that whole scene and everything's white and dry and, and right. you know, I thought it, that very was cool. fantastic. Very my, cool. My favorite is, is the game that they play with the prisoners. Um, to see if they can if they can run away. If they can um, run away. You know, Mike brought up a good point. Um, I'm not going to step on it, Mike. If if you want to ask the question that you sent a text to us about, um, yeah, the, and, and the, you alluded to it, Logan, with with the violence and, and a Mel Gibson type movie. Yeah, the question is is you know you've got a movie where you've you've got people that are you know living a very happy idealistic life and they're captured by a sadistic group of people. They're waiting to be killed off. One survivor fights back. One by They're one. One by one, chased mm-hmm. through the last half of the movie, manages to kill the leader in a final showdown that's saved before an unforeseen third party shows up and just totally, you know, uh, spins the ending. Which I, I, you know, which season of The Walking Dead did I just describe? Right. right? Is it a, so my question is, is it a horror movie? I think it is. I think it's a horror movie. My answer is it's not a horror movie. It's a historical movie through a Mel Gibson lens, which is ultra violent, has his own Cronenberg, Tarantino, Sam Raimi style of violence and gore. That's what it is. So I mean, the scene where he strangles a toaster. I mean, that was great. <laughs> hey, that, that, that brave little toaster, man. <laughs> Here, here's what I would compare it to. And, and I, quite frankly, I would love to see Mel Gibson do one of these movies because I think he would do a fantastic job with it. I think it's like a Western. Interesting. Right? You, you have, you have like, you know, this 
like family or group of people that are living out on this thing. And, you know, whether right. you want to, whether you want to have it be yeah. like Indians or savages or the big city people that are coming in or whatever to take their gold or their land or whatever it is. Right. It, to me, it feel it has a Western feel to it more than a horror movie. Um, well, I, I think that was and Westerns have tons of violence, right? Well, and I, that's, and that's and it was the a thing simple I was plot. trying to, it was a yeah. simple plot well, with a Western. No, they take so, you, you got to get away. That's it. It's the end. So those right? are the two things that I took away from this movie. One is, Matt, the simple plot, which is why I give this four stars, because it it is simplistic. I mean, you start off the movie with the taper uh, being hunted and being hit by the thing. And you're like, huh, I wonder, why they <laughs> that. Mm. wonder if that thing's going to come and play later, right? Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, you know, why is he just standing there letting him shoot arrows at him? He's He's oh, it's the, the there goes the bone. Yep, mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. Impaled, nice ending. I mean, come on, right? It's 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 simplistic, but now is it's very satisfying though, right? No doubt, it's Closes a satisfying movie, right? This is the loop. Closes the loop, and it's and it's and it's written in a way that's meant to be satisfying. I, I can't take away anything from the way this movie is shot. That he shot on location there uh, in Mexico. It's amazing. The, the, the way he was, the, the, the foreign languages that he uses and all that. I, you do have to knock him a little bit for the lack of historical accuracy. It, the Aztecs were really the more of the human sacrifice people. Uh, the, the, at the time, the Mayans are not, not so much. Uh, he just kind of blended that all together to kind of make it work. Mm-hmm. But the, but the other thing is, the genre that you just can't fit this movie in to me is, is the interesting thing about this movie because it doesn't really fit. It's, it's, it's sort of Western. I agree with you, Logan. I think it is. It's, it's sort of a horror movie, right? Because it, you know, it's, it's very violent. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of similarity between uh, some of these other horror movies that came out in the two thousands that were really pushing the limits on violence and gore. Um, you know, the, uh, the, it seems like the, the people are very heartless towards, uh, human life and they're just kind of getting now. He, he throws it in the historical lens to make it look like, Oh, it's human sacrifice, but these people are getting their chests, their chest ripped open and their beating hearts torn out. Um, there's, that's a horror movie, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to put that in another genre where you do that multiple times in a movie. It's Temple of Doom. Uh, a horror movie. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point, right? Um, but or or Tarantino's, right? Like you know, you get that. I mean, Tarantino usually has the big display at the end rather than total violence the entire way through, other than Kill Bill, maybe, right? But um, I mean, this is violence the whole way through. Right. To your point, Mike, the opening scene—it's not a person; it's an animal. But you know. It, you still get the blood and gore from the get-go, um, and it doesn't stop until the very end. So I, one of the other things, one of the critics that I saw panned it for was the ending, which is like, oh, yeah, that's great. The white conquistadors come in to save the day, <laughs> right? Uh, you I know, didn't get that at all. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't either. just have to. I didn't either. I, I didn't agree either. with you guys. To but, me, it seemed like it was just, it was like aliens showing up. Right. Correct. Right. Correct. Such a bizarre it's, thing. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, look at that. We better go farther in than we've ever gone before to get away from all this. For right. sure. It was like it was like the uh a big fish eats a small fish and then a bigger fish comes. It it, it was it was like that for me. Yeah. And the way that was shot 
it was it was you mean amazing. like in Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace where the the fish eat it's, the other it's fish. exactly what yeah. I was yeah. I was thinking of in in that I I, um, I just watched it the other day so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but no just just because that was a close scene like they they almost got him and he just falls to they just fall to their knees yeah. on the beach I, very well done very well done great movie just didn't just missed the mark by by a little bit but you know just one quick thing where did he get the bankroll to start just making these it must is it just from braveheart it's it's it, it's like coppola bankroll right like that's like a, the, a, the apocalypse now type correct. bankroll. yeah go in correct, the middle of the jungle and shoot with a bunch of people yeah right to and and have not have to answer to a studio be like wait what you don't want subtitles on this and he's like nope Nope, sub, no subtitles. They're not yeah. even speaking Spanish. They're speaking like a dialect from the 1500s. I'm going to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to take my fucking name off of it. Right. So like, you know, I mean, and, and he, and he pulled and it you off. You guys will be toast. Right. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the very interesting and exciting career of Gary Old Man. Hitler will not insist on outrageous terms. He will know his own weaknesses. He will be reasonable. When will the lesson be learned? When will the lesson be learned? How many more dictators must be were wooed, appeased, good God given him mixed privileges before we learn? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill in The Darkest Hour. That movie came out in 2018 and won uh, Gary Oldman his his first Oscar for Best Actor. Um, also won a Golden Globe that year. His prior Oscar nomination was uh, not a winner, but of course... I mean, if there was one member of the Academy on this podcast, uh, maybe he could have swung the vote. It was Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, of course. Or Smiley. Gary Oldman, he is known for his, uh, antisocial roles. He is, he has a very intense acting style, a stage style, uh, which he has even acknowledged as a little bit of overacting. Um, but that does separate him from the rest of the British people that actor, that act for sure. Uh, and that is where he got his start on the stage in the 1970s. Uh, and he did a number of movies. The first one that jumps out to me on the list is 1986, Sid and Nancy, where he plays Sid Vicious. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, he worked with Martin Campbell in a movie called Criminal Law. I saw that one was on, uh, Amazon Prime. I didn't get a chance to pull the trigger on it. Um, but I was going to because he worked with Campbell, uh, later in his career. Um, and, uh, a number of people have worked. That's the, that's the guy that did Mel Gibson's, uh, return with, um, Edge of Darkness. He brought him back, um, before he was directing again. And then you've got, I mean, one of the things I just wanted to do was just point this out, talking about directors. These are the directors he's worked, he's worked with. Oliver Stone, Francis Ford Coppola, Tony Scott, Wolfgang Peterson, Ridley Scott, Alfonso Curon, Christopher Nolan, uh, and 
Let's see. Joe Wright, Steven Soderborough, and David Fincher. But he's he's prolific, right? Yeah. I mean, he he cranks out a lot of shit too. He's got remember, a lot. We don't penalize that on the in camera review podcast. If you are prolific, you are not penalized for the crap that you crank out. Unless your name like is James him. Franco. Yeah. yeah he's got he's got there. like five you know, upcoming projects. Oldman does. Yes. Uh, on Guy's a worker. I mean, he's, he's still just cranked up. The th- his, his formula is, it's good. I bet, I bet he is making bank, right? Like he puts out Academy Award caliber performances. And then he like will also in the same year put out like three movies that probably just kill it in Asia with, with like Nick Cage, right? Like he, he's got a <laughs> lot of those types of movies in the same years as like a Tinker Taylor. One thing I want to point out about Gary Oldman is just his career path is so much, is so different than that of the, the British actors that we have had an right. opportunity to discuss, in other words, the HBO players. And that's just because, you know, HBO wasn't around then. So, but his career is still very different than that of Anthony Hopkins and Emma Tom, Emma Thompson, who were coming out at the same time. He picked very unique, very dark roles. Right. Um, he distinguished you know, himself from the from the British cast of characters. Correct. He while they were while they were putting out Remains of the Day and getting the token British nomination for for doing these types of films, he's playing you know Lee Harvey Oswald and, yeah, and Dracula and and Dracula and he's doing American films almost yeah. almost immediately. Right. And he's and like Leon the professional, the role that he plays, a lot of bad guys. Now, I was never guy. afraid. Great I think, villain. I think he chose early on to own like crazy villain. Um, and then total rope a dope as it, when the year 2000 hit turned into a sweetheart protagonist. I mean, just... that's the interesting thing about his career is the, is the versatility within the drama, uh, genre, right? Um, JFK. Uh, Dracula, True Romance, Leon the Professional, Murder in the First, The Fifth Element, Air Force One. These are all, I right? about Air Force One. Right? Right. right. You know, I mean, to me, he reminds me a lot of Alan Rickman in that way, you know, because Alan Rickman was like the best vi- villain in, uh, in Die Hard. Right. And, and, and I think Rickman is one of the people that separated himself a little bit from the normal cast of characters from the British films, Rickman's right? Rickman's first movie is Die Hard. Right. I mean, he, he, he does these different things because I think because they, they're, 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 they've got the skills, right? I mean, he's got the ability to do all these things. His, the voices that he does, think about how cheesy it could have been in that Dracula movie if somebody else tried to do that. He pulls it off and that's difficult to do. Yeah. You know, movie is not, movie is not a high well, mark. Look, it's Keanu and Winona. I'm not going to defend it, but he's very good in it. And he, and I he, really wanted that movie to be so much better. I mean, but, but it's, it's not October. because it's not his fault. You're right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, 
you know, he and Coppola were going, I don't know what these young kids are doing, but we got a thing going on here. They need, we they need it. to redo that. I mean, I, of course, let so, Francis Ford Coppola do it. Just have a second chance at it. But you, but you're right, Coleman. He, uh, Matt, he, he takes a, a turn. Um, and, and I, I think he's sort of a villain in the contender. Uh, and when 2000 comes out, that's Big a, time. that's a, that's a, Big that's time. a villain character. It's different than the other villains that he's played. He's right? a villain. Because, he's a different villain in Hannibal. Exactly. It was, was a good role. Yeah. Cardell. I didn't, um, I, I didn't think that movie was executed very well, but. Well, and that's the thing is that it's interesting because that you, you, you note the turning point because his career does take a little dip there, right? I mean, he, after that, he does Interstate 60, The Higher Beat the Devil, Tiptoes, Sin, and Who's Kyle? I mean. Does, was he difficult to work with? Like, was he temperamental? I, 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 thought I can't I imagine he's like difficult he to work with a drinker on the set. I can't imagine he's difficult to work with, with the, the directors and the, the spectrum that he's run there. Um, I think it's just that he was trying to do something different with his career and it was kind of difficult to change gears. And then he, then he and, uh, Alfonso Curran did Harry Potter and the prisoner of Azkaban. Now we're talking, right? We're talking Logan, Logan, Logan. We're you really should have watched. You really should have watched that movie. This is your pick, Logan. We're not talking about it. It's one of his best roles. It's a repeating role. Serious Black. Uh, you don't even. You don't have to like Harry Potter. You don't have to like the movies to appreciate. But you will. You will. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's my. It's my favorite of the. You know of the septology, uh, if you will. Um, he's he's and he's great in it i mean it's and Wonderful. it's like that it's like that role is built for gary oldman i mean he's mm-hmm. just fantastic in it no i mean um, he went to he went to get some aquaman money finally right I, at this point in his career though he's he still hasn't been nominated ever for an academy award for anything we we listed off all those great movies and all the great roles and everything. they weren't they weren't roles for for a best actor though i, I know mm-hmm. but he doesn't get nominated until tinker taylor yeah. I mean, just think about that for a second, right? Like he, he worked a long time and he did a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. What, you know, whether any of those roles were good enough or not. He should have been nominated for Lee Harvey Oswald before Tommy Lee Jones was nominated. Right. I right. have not I, been told what I'm been arrested for. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's very it's great. Good. His, um, I, to me, he's, um, I don't know. It's like he changed his colors a little bit, right? Like, um, you know, like a, a chameleon, right? He just, for whatever reason, he's able to sort of slide in and out of all these different roles. A lot of them are the same early on. Now, I mean, for like fast forward, now he's getting the Aquaman money. He's in Harry Potter. He's in Batman, right? He's in, he's, uh, James Gordon. He's the good guy. Right, he's the super duper good guy. Not and just good guy, sweetheart. He let himself age. I'm looking up right now. I, right. I I suspect he is the same age as Tom Cruise. So so and here's my what a difference it makes. Here's yeah. my question about Gary Oldman to you guys: Is he basically Daniel Day Lewis, who is prolific? He, uh, yeah. Well, I, some would argue he's the poor man Daniel Day Lewis because he just doesn't get the he doesn't get the credit for it. He's much more prolific. He doesn't get the credit for what are clearly serious acting chops. And he deserved every every bit of the win for Darkest Hour. I don't know who he was up against, 
Um, I think Matt, you made the point when we we're talking about like if you if you're an actor and you get to play the U.S. United States president, you you bring it, right? I said if you get to play the Joker, you bring it. Oh yeah, and <laughs> British. That's what it was. British it, cinema. If you get to play Churchill, you bring it. Yeah, and he and he brought it. He is so good. You can't even really tell it's him because of all the makeup, but I just think the level of detail that he went to with the mannerisms and the speech patterns and everything it, it's he's phenomenal he, he I, really was i agree with you like i mean so that was a first watch for me for the darkest hour this week um and that's why i played that scene i mean he's phenomenal in that movie um the way that he is able to play a role that is so familiar and to do it in a way that makes it unique is a really difficult task to do. Um, and, and look, and darkest hour is not that great of a movie. It, it, it's not, I mean, it's, it, it, it's not quite the iron lady, um, which I think is a two star movie that um, Meryl Streep makes a three star movie. Same thing with the Joker. To me, it's a two star movie that Joaquin makes a three star. To me, this is a three star movie that uh, Oldman makes a four star. Um, he is just, it, I don't, I don't understand why he's not a method actor because he certainly appears to be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly the way that he researches the roles, he's really good with voices. I think, um, if you just, I mean, you know, uh, one of the things, you know, uh, to go back to James Franco, um, it, the spring breakers role that he has alien, he is the most bizarre character other than Gary Oldman's character in, True romance. Uh, in true romance mm -hmm. and they're very similar and it's almost like it's a little bit of a takeoff there because it's a white it, dreadlocks and stuff percent right? is because james franco doesn't have the mental <laughs> well we know your thoughts about that to, but... just, to just you know come up with something and, All and, right. and, and then but in the argue... fifth element the fifth element correct correct i mean come on i'm not going to argue with you guys about the darkest hour i didn't i didn't watch it the reason why i didn't watch it is because um, you know, it, impersonations, I can take them or leave them. I mean, a, a really good impersonation is fun. Mike, you do impersonations. They make me laugh. You can point out that that's, that's really amazing how, how well they were able to impersonate it. But, um, it, it, it there's something missing. It's like he does Tinker Taylor, which is just, the most subtle. Yeah, just bring us home with Tinker Taylor. Let's the exactly. most yeah. subtle performance I've ever seen. He doesn't speak for the first 20 minutes and just you can read it all on his tired face. And he he gets nominated for that and then they give it to him for, I don't know, he might as well have just been Big Bird. I mean, like he they, they were like, I don't think that they gave him the <laughs> the Academy Award because because he was um impersonating Churchill, but because he had like makeup on or they changed his body habits. They just love that shit. And it drives me bonkers when they when they overlook the the Tinker Taylor performance or or they gave him the makeup well, on that. So so I think and this is to your point, Matt, what what I struggle with with people playing Churchill or or other real people is that there are a lot of source material that an actor can then take and mimic, right? Which is 
still impressive if you can do it well, but that's, I mean, that's their job, right? They're actors. They're supposed to be able to take something and then mimic that as, as a, as a role to your, I think what you're saying is in the roles where like Gene Hackman and Mississippi burning one, which we're going to get into next, we're going to get into that where, where Mm -hmm. you essentially take something that nobody has told you what this person's like, what the role is supposed to be. And they make it their own. Like he, like Oldman does in Tinker Taylor, that, that's generally more impressive feat and should be recognized more by the Academy than it actually is. He's got like 50 lines in Tinker Taylor, right? And, and the range from just like sleepy, like I'm retired, you fired me to the end where it's like, well, then what are you, Bill? Like, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's I a just, great, it's a great scene. It really is. I mean, and, you know, we've talked about this before with Spotlight. The reason why I love Spotlight is, is the same reason why I love Tinker Taylor is that it's it's essentially a document review movie, right? There's there's really no action. It's all Slow told burn. in flash, flashbacks. You know, um, he is he is going through a file and he and he deduces what happens and he, and from from the absence of information. And it's, it's just so good. Since then. So you need to watch Dark Waters with, um, Mark Ruffalo, right? Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. I will. I, I mean, it's a slow burn, no action. You'll all fucking over love it. it. So the last it. couple of things I wanted to say about Gary Oldman was number one, I think he bridges the play acting era from the sixties and seventies to the modern era. Cause he is sort of both. He, he can really do both those things. And he is, he learned how to take what works from play acting into, I mean, Bring me everyone, everyone from the professional, right? right. I mean, that's great. Such a great scene. Um, the other thing about him is the physicality, the, 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 the way he, that's, and that's the thing that really impressed me with the darkest hour was the way he physically, not just the way he looked, but the way he carried himself. Um, Logan, you may know what I'm talking about just in looking at that role. Just the walk, the walk yeah. that has, the lean that he has. Yeah. And, and, and he, and he does that in all of his roles. He just, that's like the thing. That's why I was wanting to to discuss the comparison to Daniel Day Lewis, because he's the only other actor I would, I would put in the same league of the physicality uh, when it comes to drama, Um, because he, he just devotes himself so much, so much to this role, but he is able to, you know, when the camera goes off, he doesn't make people, you know, feed him or uh, go shoot squirrels and live off the land like Daniel Day-Lewis in The Last of Mohicans did. <laughs> um, but did you ever see... Hey, don't Gary be Oldman's... attacking Daniel Day after your comments about fucking Annette Benning. Um, you're you're not in Daniel Day's league, so <laughs> don't bring it. <laughs> did you ever see... No, and, I, and I don't want to... And that's the thing, I don't want to take anything away from... But I, the interesting thing about the discussion with Daniel Day-Lewis was... Who else will we put in the in his league? And this guy, hundred percent. This, this guy, I think it is hundred yeah. percent. This guy and uh, Logan. I'm glad you picked him because not only would I put him in the same league, he's toe to toe because he's prolific. He's not afraid to fail. He's not making people feel uncomfortable. That shit matters to me. That that shit matters. <laughs> a, a, a nice working environment is nice, right? Like I don't <laughs> I don't want to have to feed. <laughs> My co-star, right? I don't want to have to do that stuff. It, it'll make well, me feel weird. I'm not going to show up but, for work. I'm not going to be happy. People probably hate working with Daniel Day-Lewis. But also remember, this is the other side of the coin was the guy doesn't work very often. There's the scarcity element. 
Oldman's the opposite. He works all the time. And so, yeah, no, not everything has been a pearl for him, but the stuff he's done when he's been on is really, really good. And I, I, I think you can put Daniel Day-Lewis's on performances against Oldman's and match them up. And I think you look at that and say, you know, just because Daniel Day-Lewis has won three best actors doesn't mean that, that Oldman couldn't have. Or won't. Or yeah, won't. He's, he's not done yet because he's, he's going to keep working. He's, he's let himself working. age. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that's a great point that you raised, Matt, about the subtlety of acting. There's no narrator in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. You don't need one because it's all on Gary Oldman's face. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It's fantastic. Five-star movie. Everyone needs to watch it. Watch it every week like I do. Um, <laughs> all right. You know, don't get all Annette Benning on it. <laughs> <laughs> one thing One thing I'll say is that um, uh, Gary Oldman is a better cobbler than Daniel Day-Lewis. I've got shoes from both of them, and just they – they feel a little bit more here. Well, let's not compare their souls. When we come back, we'll be talking about Rain Man. Remember this Thursday? Very snowy out. 7.2 inches snow that day. Just after mom died, New Year's Eve, mom died. January 5th, 1965. You remember that day? You remember that day that you left? Short, short and sudden illness. You remember that day? Yeah. yeah. Was I there? Where was I? What, what, you, you, where, you, where, were, you were in the window. You, you waved to me. Bye-bye, Rain Man. Bye-bye. Rain Man. So you, you, you were the one that sang to me? Yeah. What, 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 what? Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman in 1988's Rain Man, it won, it was nominated at the 61st Academy Awards for eight Oscars. It took home four. Best original screenplay, best actor, Dustin Hoffman. He bested Gene Hackman, of course, in Mississippi Burning, as well as Tom Hanks in Big. Uh, best director, Barry Levinson, beat Marty Scorsese for the, the, uh, the Last Temptation of Christ. And of course, best picture. The also rans that year, Mississippi Burning nominated for seven, took home one for best cinematography. Dangerous Liaisons nominated for seven, took home three, best costume, best art, best screenplay, uh, best adapted screenplay. That is the accidental tourist, four nominations, zero gold. Um, that movie was directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who also directed, wrote and directed the big chill as well as, uh, Wyatt Earp. Um, also wrote for Star Wars, uh, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not, not, not a bad, uh, not a bad repertoire for that guy. Gina Davis won Best Supporting Actress for her role in the exit, for her role. Um, oh yeah, no, they, they took home one. I'm sorry. Gina Davis was the, she was the sole gold there because she beat Frances McDormand for Best Supporting Actress, which we talked about when we looked at her career. Working Girl, uh, six nominations, no wins. Directed by Mike Nichols. Big hit. Big, big hit. Very big hit. Uh, Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Sigourney Weaver in that one. Couple of, uh, shout outs from that year in the Academy Awards. A Fish Called Wanda. Best supporting actor, Kevin Klein. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jodie Foster, they accused. Wonderful. And she, she beat, Jodie Foster beat Glenn Close for Dangerous Liaison. Sigourney 
Weaver for Gorillas in the Mist and Meryl Street. Not many people can say that they've been like we were talking about Robin Williams and the cat like the caliber of actress he's gone up against. That is a that is a tough a tough, a tough road draw. To but I mean, have you seen The Accused? It's it's, it's amazing. Yeah, she's a, she's outstanding. Um, also, who framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, won a couple Academy Awards that year. Best visuals, best sound effects, Stop best film editing. Uh, Beetlejuice won best makeup. I did not realize Beetlejuice was an Academy Award winning film. I was glad to see that because <laughs> I loved that movie. Um, also going back to, uh, Die Hard. Die Hard was nominated that year for best film editing. Um, but, uh, I, I think that this is just a great year in film. It's not mm-hmm. like, it's not the early seventies, you know, but this is a fun year. These are good movies. Um, these are movies that have, have lasted. They've stood the test of time for sure. There's some really good performances. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of diversity, right? There's not a bunch of superhero movies soaking up all the studio money. Um, you got some, some very, very, you've got a, you know, uh, Rain Man is, a, a very uh, unique movie. You've got Mississippi Burning, which is, as we've talked about, is the beginning of the civil rights sort of movies. Dangerous Liaison is a is a French pre French Revolutionary period piece, and then you've got The Accidental Tourist and The Working Girl and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, this is an interesting year. Um, the question that I have is, did Rain Man win because uh, of? Dustin Hoffman's performance is that really what drove this film or is there something more to this movie that the the academy liked Logan what do you think Yeah I I'm happy to go first but it's it's Matt's pick so uh what what do you think Matt I mean I I'll give you my two cents on it quickly which is I think Dustin Hoffman edges out Gene Hackman but I think Mississippi Burning is the better movie. That's what that's where I land after rewatching it again. Uh I'm not taking anything away from Gene Hackman, but I don't think he got robbed like some of the other the years that we've looked at. Oh, total Dustin total Hoffman heavyweight heavyweight bout heavyweight between, bout between those two. Right. So I, and, I'm and not, you know, I think would, that, I would think you, would you about flip it. that, Matt? Though would you, would is your analysis you would flip it that Hackman's better than Hoffman? But Rain Man's better than Mississippi Burning. I might. Um, so I'm going to start with the question. I'm going to answer the first question, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll move forward. Oh, you're into that answering the question asked. Uh, yeah, right. So <laughs> you know what I think is understated about Rain Man is it's not just Dustin Hoffman; it's the chemistry between Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. Okay, you. I don't think Dustin Hoffman's performance is as good without Cruz's, you know, exasperation, right. you know, and, and mm-hmm. it really worked. I thought very well in, in this movie. Um, I don't remember in, and, and I, I did the cliffs notes this time. Um, so guys, refresh my recollection. Do they flat out state that, that he has an, in a diagnosis of, of autism. Yes, they do. And, and they, they refer to it as, um, you know, the doctor says he would, he would be called years ago, an idiot savant, okay. um, because he's not just autistic. He is, um, highly functioning where, you know, he can remember precise dates and all these things that happened and all these statistics and he can do 
mathematical equations in his head, at the speed of a computer and all those kinds of things. But, you know, you ask him what he had for breakfast three Thursdays ago, and he doesn't understand what, you, what you're talking about. Or right. He doesn't and, understand money. He doesn't right. understand humor, which is why he repeats who's on first, what's yeah. on second, right. uh, repeatedly uh, throughout the movie. But Tom Cruise is able to teach him a little bit. You know, Kmart sucks, right? He's able right. to teach him humor, and uh, they bond over that. Yeah. Charlie and, Babbitt made a joke. I yeah. think maybe I think maybe it it put the spotlight on um on that diagnosis that that was new to a lot of people and I think sure. that's that's why um it it was such a unique movie and and people probably learned a lot about a condition that that's been out there for a long time so I think I so do think you think that, there's like a Nell Jodie Foster and like a Daniel Day Lewis My Left Foot thing going on here that that captures people? A- absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, which is what I think gave it the edge over Mississippi Burning. Not not my opinion, but in the Academy, is, is that they had already done some social justice there, and they're like, we checked that box. Right. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see. My thing, got his Academy Award. Let's, uh, well, let's and that's how it on. felt to me. It felt very, um, it felt very hollow in the way that they did this. Cause I, I don't want to take anything away from Dustin Hoffman's performance, but nobody knows who watched that movie in 1988. Nobody knows what an autistic person who has those kind of abilities would be like. What do you compare it to? No one knows. No one, I mean, literally in the movie, they, they live in an institution, they're shielded from society. Right. Which to me is the interesting part of the movie because it's the change. It shows the change in, you know, from the sixties and seventies and fifties where these people, um, you know, were not allowed to really be a part of society to where like we've got the Americans with Disabilities Act passed in 91 and you've got people, um, uh, learning that we, we don't, we don't turn these people into shut-ins. We, we, we open our society, uh, to people with disabilities and we, right. Right. And so, and that movie is a little bit about that, that it helps, it helps us. It helps that person. They become better. I like that about the movie. So do I. But as far as the acting goes, Gene Hackman is the, to me the better actor because Correct. he owns that role, which is supposed to be something that we all know, which is a cop buddy movie. And he, as I, we, we talked about it at length, why I thought that was so good. It, it's, he takes the familiar and makes it unique. Whereas, whereas Justin Hoffman takes the unfamiliar and you just, you, you see what is, I'm, it's a very good performance. I don't want to take away from that, but is it the best acting of, of that year? I don't think so. I don't believe that Dustin Hoffman is the only person that could have done that. I really don't. Yeah. I think that if you, give that assignment if you give that role to another actor that's serious about what they want to do gary oldman daniel day lewis and i i'm not just talking first raiders i mean someone that really wants it you know i think robin williams actually probably could have played it too i agree i agree you know so i don't think it was unique i I do think you know there there was some impersonation involved in it so it, it kind of piggybacks on what I had to say with Oldman. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why it gets dinged a little bit. Um, but, you know, as, as the father of, you know, a, a child with a cerebral palsy diagnosis, you know, I mean, 
I'm interested in in my left foot. I, I like that that puts that out there for people. And um, you know, I'm not I'm not the father of of a child with with an autism diagnosis, but you know, I imagine that this one I don't know if it's accurate. So that right. that that's that's problematic for me, right? So right. just because I don't have that experience, so. You know, in 1988, they weren't doing the most sensitive portrayals of certain things, right? So I, I don't know if it if it's 100% accurate. Now, I did teach special needs in the early 2000s, and there were some things that Dustin Hoffman did that reminded me of, of some of my students. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I don't have the in-depth knowledge to know whether he nailed it, right? I mean, like, right. I, so that's it. I, I mean, mean- I, from everything I've read, he did, right? Like it's very, it's very spot on for somebody who's on the spectrum. And okay. there, the, there's an autism spectrum in which, you know, it, the, the varies, right? The range and, and their ability to react and communicate and things like that. And, you know, doesn't like very much, most people with autism does, they don't understand like humor or the comedy because it, like that part of the brain doesn't register that emotion and empathy and things like that. Um, but I, you know, I, I, the reason I ding the movie a little bit is because of the ending. So Tom Cruise mm-hmm. doesn't know he has a brother. He uh, essentially is in trouble with some. money. He's, he's sort of over leveraged. He's trying to sell like Ferraris or something like that. And it's not going very eighties materialistic. Yes. Um, he go, his father dies. His father's got a huge estate and his father essentially cuts him out of the will and gives all the money, puts all the money in a trust for this unknown brother that he doesn't know he has. And so he goes to where Dustin Hoffman is, is housed and meets his brother for the first time. And then they go on this journey. He basically kidnaps him and tries to hold him for ransom for part of the inheritance at some point they drive through, they're driving from Ohio to Los Angeles. They go through Las Vegas. That's the famous scene. They, he wins them a ton of money at the, you know, we're, we're counting cards, counting cards, what we're doing. And so he wins them a ton of money, which is what he needs to pay back all of his debts. And they get to Los Angeles and he allows them to take his brother back to the facility. And he's like, I'm going to come see you. It's definitely changed him. That's the, I think part of the moral of the story is that it changes him and his greed. But it, I, I just thought they could have had a much, you know, a much happier, more satisfying ending. And it just irked me, right? That's not what I remembered from the movie. Right. I, I too uh, had similar thoughts about the ending and, and it was, it was not just not satisfying, but it was, you know, okay. So it, we just go back to status quo. He says, I'll see you in two weeks. It's just very, um, there's nothing significant about that ending, not even in a sense of, uh, you know, acknowledging what the whole movie has been about. It's almost like, okay, we had this side adventure and now we're just going to go back to normal. It, I agree with you. Um, right. dangerous liaison, just want to mention that briefly. John Malkovich is awesome in that movie. He's what really, happened? really what good. What happened to John Malkovich? What Malkovich? happened? We, he's, we got a fantastic all the time. We should pick him at some guy. point, but he's on but my the, list. He, he, yeah, and I, I, we should pick him at some point because he's really, really good. He's really good Malkovich, in that movie. Malkovich. But, but I'll tell you what's funny. So this movie comes out in, um, this movie comes out in 80, in 88. And then like 
you know, uh, by, by what is it? It would be about 12 years later or so when Cruel Intentions comes out. It, Cruel Intentions is basically a shot for shot remake of that movie. It's just, they're not wearing French period piece clothing. Okay. Uh, which I thought was really interesting because Cruel Intentions is, is, is sort of our generation. Uh, right. We were in high school when it came out and, uh, right. And it was, and it was, I was in so- college. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, anyway, it's just, to me, I just, watching it, seeing Cruel Intentions more closer in time than when I saw that movie, uh, I didn't realize how much, I knew it was based on it, but it is like a shot for shot ripoff. Um, but I see why they wanted to remake it because it's a really, it's a really compelling movie. Um, but I love Rain Man. I love how 80s it is. I love the beginning scene where they're bringing the Lamborghinis off. Uh, and they're just jamming out to eighties music. I just really enjoyed it. So, but, uh, when we come back, we're running out of time. So when we come back, we're going to make our picks for next week. Um, and, uh, Uma's in it. Uma. Yeah. That's right. The young Uma Thurman, Keanu Reeves, Michelle Pfeiffer, um, John Malkovich, Glenn Close. Glenn Close is phenomenal in that movie. I mean, she, she really earned her Academy Award nomination. I'm not, not going to say be she's better than Jodie Foster North, for the accused, Dan. but she, but, but she is, she is outstanding in that. Uh, really enjoyed it. And thank you for listening to another edition of the in camera review podcast. We will be back next week and we will still be lawyers talking about movies and we are through and through. Good night.